Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. Scripture reading this morning we found in the book of Luke, Luke verses 22, Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. I will read the first verse, and after you join it with me, the second verse, and continue with me every other verse. Then Luke chapter 12, verses 22 to 34. Would you please stand as we read these verses? And he said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food, and the food body is more than clothing. Consider the raven. They neither sow nor weep. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life. If then you are not able to be do so, do as small a thing as this. Why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothed the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven. How much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourself with money bags that do not grow old, with the treasure in the heaven that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we again thank you for your word. We ask that you bless be upon the pastor as he delivered the message. We have this in the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I want to begin this morning by hanging a bridge between last week's text and today's. Uh, this whole section from verse 13 to the end of the chapter is one long teaching of Jesus. And so ideally... Uh, it would be great to just cover the whole thing in one sermon, but I don't think you guys want to stick around for all of that. So uh, just because of time constraints, we have to break it into pieces, but we don't want to forget what we studied previously and disconnect what was really one continuous teaching of Jesus. Last week, we looked at verses 13 to 21, the parable of the rich fool. It was a story that Jesus told to confront the sin of covetousness. There was a man, a rich man, you remember, who was focused on acquiring wealth and building bigger barns and just storing up all of his wealth and living off of that. 
God says that he was a fool because he was going to die that night and all of his money that he'd worked hard for would be given to someone else. And the concluding statement that Jesus gave, which was really the, the parable reduced down to a sentence, verse 21, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So that's the conclusion of last week's sermon, that uh, we should not just think about how we can get money for ourselves, right? But we should think about how we can use our money for God's purposes, be rich toward God, uh, give and, and lay up treasure in heaven. And then verse one of our text, or I'm sorry, the first verse of our text this morning, verse 22, he said to his disciples, therefore, now whenever we see a therefore, this is a cheesy Bible study tip, right? Whenever we see a therefore, we should see what it's therefore, okay? Because the therefore always connects uh, two things, right? A, a therefore means because of this, now this. And so because of verse 21, now comes verse 22. Therefore, because of the command, I, I tell you, uh, don't lay up treasure for yourself. Instead, be rich toward God. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. So Jesus says, be rich toward God. Give generously. Uh, store up your treasure in heaven instead of building bigger barns here and storing up your wealth here on earth, where, where when you die, you lose it all. And then immediately he starts saying, in light of that, don't be anxious. And this is in Greek, a, a present imperative combined with a negative, which basically means uh, don't start being anxious. You could translate verse 21, uh, you know, give, give your money, be rich toward God, don't store it up for yourself, verse 22, and don't start being anxious about what you're going to eat and how your needs will be met. And so I hope you see the connection there. Giving generously is scary, right? When we think about uh, being rich towards God, it's, it's a frightening thing. Because if I'm going to give my money to the work of God, if I'm going to be rich towards God, that means I don't have as much. And the natural question this brings to mind is, what about my needs? Will I have enough to take care of what I need? Giving generously can cause you to have anxiety about how your needs will be met. And that's what this week's text is all about. So last week was, don't be greedy. Don't just store up treasure for yourself. Instead, be rich towards God. And this week is, and don't be anxious about how your needs will be met if you start to give generously because your father will take care of you. And we'll see that as we go throughout the text. For example, these are just a few things that are we're going to look at this morning. Verse 29 says, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. So don't be worried about how your needs will be met. Verse 31, instead, seek his kingdom. And these things, those needs, will be added to you. So seek his kingdom. That's like, be rich towards God. Uh, lay up treasure in heaven. You focus on God's work, and he'll take care of your needs. Verse 32, uh, fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Well, well fear not what? <laughs> Fear not, because your, your father is desiring to give you the kingdom. The question that we should ask there is, what is it that he's saying not to fear? And I think in context, what Jesus is telling us not to fear is giving. Seek first God's kingdom. Be rich towards God. Don't just lay up treasure for yourself. Give to those in need. And with all of those commands in these verses, to give of our money, it would be very natural to ask, what about me? I'm afraid that if I give to those in need, if I give my money to the work of God, I may not have enough for my food, for my clothing, and the things that I need. And Jesus is saying, don't be afraid to give because your Father will take care of your needs if you trust him enough to give generously. Now let's circle back around to verse 22 and we're going to work our way through the text. But I just want to make sure at the start 
that we read this in light of the previous text. Because a lot of people read this text and think, uh, Jesus is just saying, don't be anxious. And that's true. We shouldn't be anxious. We should trust God. But specifically, he's talking about anxiety as it relates to our, our needs being met and in light of being generous. And so that's the context behind all of this. Verse 22. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. And that, and that sentence is the main uh, you know, topic sentence for the whole study today. Don't be anxious about the needs of your life being met. And he gives eight reasons in the next few verses that explain why we don't need to worry about these things. But before we read further and get into those eight reasons not to be anxious, I need to give a few clarifications. Uh, first of all, I don't believe that Jesus is saying that you should not plan how you're going to pay your bills or buy your food and just expect that it's all going to work out. Okay? Um, at this point, the King James translation does mess us up here. This is one reason I'm glad we use the ESV. The King James says, take no thought for these things. Just don't even think about it. God's going to take care of it. I think it's much better translated, don't be anxious. Don't be worried about these things. Big difference there. Okay, so he's not saying just kind of sit back uh, and God's just going to work it all out. As I've said many times, uh, we need to be careful to distinguish between trusting God and testing God. One is essential to following Jesus. The other is a sin. Uh, you remember jumping off the temple edge was a, a temptation that Satan uh, wanted Jesus to do. It was a sin. And so, and so it is with us. If we just don't work, we don't plan, and we just expect God to catch us despite the fact that it's our own fault we don't have our needs being met, that is not trusting God, that's testing God. That's jumping off the building and saying, God, you have to catch me. I'm placing my faith in you. And so we need to distinguish between trusting God and testing God. Proverbs 10, verse 5, He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame. Proverbs 20, verse 4, the slugger does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. And so uh, the context of Scripture over and over, especially in the book of Proverbs, this principle is given that diligent work okay, is a good thing, and it is uh, something God expects his children to do. So this is not to be taken as we can just sit back and expect God to meet our needs uh, with no effort of our own. All right, what we're talking about here with the instruction not to be anxious, again, is specifically, don't be afraid to give generously. Don't be afraid that if you're rich towards God, if you seek his kingdom, you give to his purposes, that you won't have enough for yourself because God will take care of you. And with those disclaimers out of the way, let's get back to the text, verse 22. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, verse 23 starts with the word for, again, one of those connecting words. Okay, so don't be anxious because, verse 23, life is more than food and the body more than clothing. So this is the first reason we don't need to be anxious about these needs being met. Life is more than food, the body more than clothing. There, there's more to life than providing food for yourself and clothing for your body. And to be overly concerned with how your needs will be met can cause you to miss life's most important concern, namely, a right relationship with God. Now, food and clothing are essential. Okay, you, you need these things. He's not minimizing the fact that you have to meet your needs. He's just trying to get our eyes above that so we don't miss the most crucial things in life. 
I maybe mean, think of it like this. There, there's more to running a race than tying your shoes. Okay. Is it important to tie your shoes before you run a foot race? Of course. But if you're so focused on making sure your twos are, shoes are tied just right, and then the gun goes off and you don't run, you've missed the point. And so Jesus is trying to get our eyes above just these needs that we have to see what life is really all about. Verse 24, the second reason we don't need to be anxious, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? So the reason number two, we don't need to fear to be generous is if God takes care of birds and meets their needs, how much more will he meet your needs? Now, again, I want to reiterate what I said earlier. The birds do go out and get their food. They don't sit in the nest and God just kind of drops it on them. They have to go and work and provide their food. But they don't store up their food and accumulate a month's worth of food in advance. God provides each day what they need. And in the same way, we are to be generous with our giving and trust in the provision of God. I think it's interesting there. He, he says, uh, they don't have storehouses, they don't have barns. Again, remember last week, right? The rich guy was building these massive barns to store up his wealth and live off of it. And God says, the birds don't do that. Uh, the birds don't find their security and their happiness and all the wealth that they have stored up. And yet I provide for them. And so God says, I, I don't want you to be like the rich fool. I don't want you to store up all of this money for yourself and not be rich towards God. But if you do this, if you refuse that lifestyle, you can trust I'm going to take care of you. I take care of birds. You're much more important than a bird. And so you can trust I'm going to take care of you. Verse 25, this is the third reason not to be anxious. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Don't be worried about how God's going to meet your needs because worrying doesn't accomplish anything, right? Worrying is... Like a rocking chair, it gives you something to do, but it won't get you anywhere. I think the point is, none of us can worry enough to solve all of our problems. You can't store up all all this, or or you can uh, store up all of the savings that you want. You can build the biggest barns that you want. But like the rich fool, if it's your day to die, uh, you'll you'll get that brain aneurysm. You'll be dead despite whatever you have saved. You you can't uh, store up enough to solve all of your problems. And so at the end of the day, Ultimately, we are trusting in God to watch over us. Our life is in his hands. We cannot extend our lives any further than he wants us to live. Verse 26, if if then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, as small a thing as just adding an hour to your life, why are you anxious about the rest? In other words, if you aren't ultimately in control of when you die, if you can't add a single hour to your life, what good is it to worry about smaller things? Now, again, a point of clarification here. This is not saying uh, we should not try to be safe. Obviously, we're concerned with safety. Right now, we're raising money for a security system. Uh, we're not saying here, you know, you can't, you, you're not in control of when you die, so just go do something stupid and, and God's going to protect you. No, we do what we can, but we trust Him with the rest. At, at the end of the day, we need to rest in the fact that our life is in God's hands. Even as we drove here this morning, you know, I I wouldn't have closed my eyes on the highway and said, okay, God, I'm trusting you. I'm placing my faith in you. Okay, we try to be safe. That's not what's being encouraged here. We try to be safe. We do what we can. But ultimately, even if I'm doing everything right, if I'm driving uh, perfectly safely, my life is dependent on everybody around me driving that way too. 
And as Christians, we are not to allow the possibility of death to drive us to anxiety. We do what we can, and we trust God with the rest. Fourth reason we don't have to be anxious, verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Now, at first, this sounds just like the bird thing, right? It's a slightly different argument, though. With God feeding the birds, the point was, you're more valuable than birds. And so if God takes care of them, we can trust he's going to take care of us. The grass here, this, this illustration is more about the temporary nature of the grass. The grass is alive in the field today and tomorrow it's dead, right? Grass does not last long. I mean, around here, what is it, maybe six months, right? And then it's covered with snow and, and it's done. It all dies. Yet, God provides what the grass needs to grow. And if God cares for the grass, which he knows is going to be gone soon, uh, don't you think he's going to care for you? The fifth reason, verse 29, do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Now, before we get to the fifth reason about why we don't need to be anxious, I want to ask you, what is Jesus saying? Because uh, this wording, if you're reading carefully, it should strike you a bit. He says, don't seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. So these are two different things. These are not just a restatement of don't be anxious. He says, don't seek it and don't be worried about it. Now, what does that mean not to seek these things? Obviously, we all, in a sense, seek these things, right? We go to work uh, in order to provide for our needs. So are we just not supposed to be concerned with that at all? Uh, again, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. Rather, I believe in the next few verses that he clarifies what his point is. And it is this. Don't make this, uh, seeking after your needs, the main focus of your life. Don't spend your life chasing after things for yourself and how you're going to take care of yourself. Instead, turn your focus to seeking the kingdom of God. And as you go through life with that as your main desire, as that, with that being the main driving focus of your life, seeking God's kingdom, doing his will, he will provide your needs along the way. Okay, so don't seek what you are to eat and drink. Verse 30, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. So don't focus your attention on your stuff. All the nations of the world do this. Let the rest of the world be self-focused and constantly seeking their own goals. Instead, you, as God's children, seek God's kingdom. Make that the driving motivation for everything you do, and God will provide your needs. I think verse 30 is explained well by the NLT's translation. This is not my favorite translation, by the way. It's very, uh, they try to explain exactly what the text means. Sometimes they're really good, sometimes they're not. Here, I think they hit it uh, very well. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs. So the, the seeking of food and your needs being met is saying, don't let that be the dominating drive of your life. Instead, set your focus on God's purposes and trust that he'll take care of your needs. So the fifth reason we don't need to be anxious about our needs is at the end of verse 30 there. God knows what we need. He is well aware. In fact, our father knows what we need more than we do. Uh, sometimes we think we need something and God knows it isn't best for us to have that. And so we can rest in God's provision because he knows best what our needs are, what we really need to live out his will in our lives. 
Now, one more question before we go on. Uh, what does it mean to seek God's kingdom? How do we do that? One of the dangers for a Christian is that we can practically live just like the rest of the world. We work, we pursue the same goals, uh, trying to meet our needs, trying to pay our bills and all the rest. And if we're not careful, we can become so occupied with those objectives that the work of the Lord takes a back seat in our daily living. And Jesus makes clear throughout his teaching that God's work in the world should have first place in our lives. Those other needs we have are subordinate to the main goal of glorifying God. Matthew 6, 19, for instance, Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Our money speaks volumes about what is really important to us. And this means that the way we use our money should be different than before we became a Christian. If nothing has changed, uh, maybe your wallet needs to be saved. Seeking God's kingdom first means our priority is his will, not our own. And as we seek his kingdom through our giving, he promises to meet our needs. Sixth reason not to be anxious, verse 32. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. There's a lot in this little verse. First, notice three ways that God is pictured here. Fear not, little flock. If we are his flock, he is our shepherd. Second, it is your father's good pleasure. So God is our shepherd. God is our father. Third, he's giving us a kingdom. God is our king. So there's three images of God and his relations to us in this one verse. God as our shepherd brings to mind, of course, Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And so the sixth reason we don't need to be anxious is because God is our shepherd, and our shepherd will provide for us what we need. That's the whole point of Psalm 23, right? God's our shepherd. We don't lack. We don't want. He, he meets our needs. He gives us what is needed. Not only is God our shepherd, again, God is our father. And as Jesus said in Matthew 7, uh, which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. And so reason number seven, we don't need to be anxious about our needs being met, is because God is our Father. He loves us, and he'll give us what we need. Combine that truth with the fact that God is our king. Uh, he is sovereign, as we saw this morning in our Bible study. He has total ability to do as he pleases. And we're not just subjects of the king. We're children of the king. I mean, who is more secure in a kingdom than the children of the king? Uh, who, you know, maybe the kingdom's not doing well financially. Uh, maybe, maybe people are starving and people are suffering. But guess who's going to be taken care of? The kids of the king. And so as God's kids, as God's children, we know that he will provide our needs. Back to our text, the eighth reason not to be anxious about needs being met. Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. You don't have to fear because, again, four is that 
connecting word, because it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Now notice, Jesus doesn't just say your Father will give you the kingdom. He says it's his good pleasure to do so. It's his delight. He chose us to be a part of his kingdom. We were adopted by God as his children. God delights in us. And so we can expect that such a loving father will also delight in providing blessings to his children. Romans 8, verse 31. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? I just think about the logic here. Uh, you think God sent Jesus to die on the cross for you, uh, to secure your eternal life, to forgive your sins. He chose to draw you to himself. He entered into this eternal relationship with you, and you're wondering if he's going to let you starve? You don't need to be anxious about that. If God did all of this for you, of course he's going to meet your needs. Just like a shepherd watches over the sheep, just like a father cares for his children, so this is God's disposition towards us. So those are the eight reasons, eight reasons we can know that God will provide our needs. And we can give generously to kingdom advancement, gospel proclamation. We don't have to be anxious or worried about how our needs will be met because God will supply what we need. Just like God cares for the birds, just like he cares for the grass. So God knows what your needs are and he loves you and cares for you. He's your father, he's your shepherd, he's your king. And so don't fear that you won't have your needs met. Now, let me make one thing abundantly clear. These promises of provision are not given for everyone. God is not saying that all people can be worry-free because God's going to supply whatever they need. This is true for those who are children of the king, sheep of the shepherd, in other words, followers of Jesus. As John said in, uh, Jesus said in John 10, You do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. So what does it mean to be God's sheep? Number one, means to believe in him. Number two, means to hear his voice. Number three, to follow him. Verse 28, I give to them, I give them eternal life. They will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. And so the sheep of Christ are his followers, Christians. So that's the first point of clarification. Also, this text has another qualification. Those who can trust in God's provision are those who give generously to his purposes. Those who are rich towards God, as verse 22 says. Those who seek God's kingdom, not their own interests. Again, verse 31 makes this clear. Seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Uh, these things, those needs being met, is a promise to those who are seeking his kingdom as their first priority and primary focus of their lives. And if that sounds radical, check out verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in heaven, in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. Sell your possessions, uh, give to those in need, and in so doing, you'll provide yourself with true treasure that will last eternally in heaven. Now, the principle here is clear. Christians should handle money and possessions far differently than the rest of the world. Uh, the rest of the world, their focus is on me, right? How can my needs be met? How can I have more pleasure and comfort and joy in this life? Christians are to be heavenly minded, and that should affect the way that we handle our possessions and our money. Now, what about the selling our possessions and giving the poor? I mean, how, how much selling are we supposed to do? Uh, how do we know what to sell? Also, why, why would we sell stuff instead of just giving money to those in need? 
I think we need to remember the context here. These disciples to whom Jesus is speaking did not have much in terms of cash. <laughs> you remember when they had to pay taxes, uh, Jesus told Peter to go catch a fish and take a coin out of his mouth. Okay? They didn't have uh, much money. These disciples of Jesus had left everything to follow him, including their jobs. Uh, you remember in, earlier in Luke, we saw Matthew, he left his tax franchise to follow Christ. Uh, Peter and Andrew and others had abandoned their fishing business. They had left their jobs to follow Christ. And so as they were traveling with him, uh, relying on really the hospitality of others to provide their food and their, their lodging, they didn't have money, but they did have possessions. And so he's telling them to sell something, give that away, give away the money. And it's basically just a way of saying, be generous to those in need. But how much were they supposed to sell? We're not going to take time to go to all of these texts, but later on in Luke, we'll see Jesus tells the rich young ruler, sell everything, everything that he owned and give it away. So in at least that case, the answer was all of your possessions are to be sold. But Zacchaeus, wealthy tax collector, when he was saved, he promised to give half of his possessions away. And Jesus praised him for doing this. So apparently 50% was okay for Zacchaeus. In the book of Acts, Barnabas <clears throat> sold a field and he gave all the proceeds of that sale to the church of Jerusalem. And then Ananias and Sapphira sold a piece of land and they gave a portion of the proceeds to the church and they were punished by God. But Peter made very clear they were not punished because they kept back part of the sale. It was because they lied and they claimed to be giving it all away, basically as a way to impress everybody with their piety. So the rich young ruler, he had to give everything away. Zacchaeus got by with only selling half of his stuff, and Ananias and Sapphira apparently would have been fine keeping the money from the sale of their field had they not lied about it. So how much? How much should these disciples sell and give away? Jesus doesn't say. It seems to me that that's up to them to figure out. They are to evaluate what they have and what they don't really need, and they are to be generous. And for us today, this applies uh, with possessions, perhaps, but maybe more uh, directly. I mean, we, we deal more with currency. And so for us, the principle is evaluate what you need and then figure out what you can give. Jesus is calling us to give up temporary wealth to gain eternal wealth. By divesting ourselves of riches in this life and being generous now, we are providing for ourselves money bags that don't grow old, treasure in heaven that doesn't fail, and no thief or moth can destroy it. In other words, he's saying, he's contrasting uh, the vulnerability of temporary earthly wealth with the eternal nature of treasure in heaven. Money bags on earth can grow old. They can fall apart, and the money would fall right out the bottom. Uh, reminds me of the stock market sometimes. Uh, treasure on earth can fail, meaning they're susceptible to inflation. Uh, devaluing the currency. Sometimes you're, you might think you're really rich and then the next day something changed. I mean, we're seeing some inflation right now uh, that, that's affecting the value of what we thought we had. And so you might have great treasure stored up one day and then the currency loses its value and now your wealth is worthless. Then you also have to worry about thieves who steal your earthly treasures. None of these are possible with losing your wealth in heaven. Treasures laid up in heaven can't be stolen. They never lose their value. They cannot be destroyed or lost. Jesus said in Mark 10, 29, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold. Now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, 
eternal life. Any investment that we make in heaven at the expense of something on earth will be repaid with interest. Uh, Jesus says a hundredfold. Anyone who's given generously and divested themselves of wealth for the sake of Christ and the gospel will be generously repaid. Uh, blessings will be given in this life and then in the next life, eternity. Verse 34 of our text ends this way, For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So how much should we give away? Enough to show where our heart is. Give generously enough to show that Jesus is your treasure. The main point that Jesus seems to be getting at in this text is followers of Jesus should have a radically different mindset than unbelievers. Those in the world are chiefly concerned with providing for themselves, worrying about their future, seeking money as a source of safety and comfort. Christians ought to be focused on God's purposes in the world instead. This should dominate their minds, not worrying about material things. The attitude of the world is anxiety, fear, and as we saw last week, covetousness for money. That's the way the world thinks about money. The attitude of a child of God should be trust and confidence in our Father and pursuit of His kingdom. We should give to the work of God, we should give to the needs of others, and we should trust that God will take care of our needs. We don't need to be anxious about this, because not being anxious shows that we treasure God above everything else. Not being anxious shows that we trust God's ability to provide for us more than our own efforts to provide for ourselves. Not being anxious shows that we rest in the kindness and goodness of our shepherd. Not being anxious shows that we believe our Father knows what we need better than we know what we need. And not being anxious ultimately shows that we believe God loves us and desires our good. Anxiety does not glorify God. In the end, it is a lack of trust in our Father. If we have faith in the character of God, we can give and not worry. Uh, Luke 12, 28, I kind of skipped over this earlier. If God so clothes the grass which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown in the oven, uh, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Anxiety is a demonstration of a lack of faith in God. Now that being said, I want to point out the tenderness of Jesus in the way he addresses our anxiety. He doesn't uh, just beat us up for being anxious. Instead, he points to eight reasons why we don't need to worry, and he encourages us to trust God to provide for our needs. Uh, notice again, verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Giving generously can be scary, especially if this is a, a new concept for you. The idea of giving to the work of God, and especially this kind of sacrificial, uh, God's kingdom first giving that Jesus teaches, this is really frightening to many. He doesn't just say, give some of your money to God. He says, be rich towards God. He doesn't say, seek the kingdom of God along with uh, your other priorities in life. Jesus says, seek his kingdom as your first priority. And that kind of radical generosity can feel overwhelming to us. And that's why the command not to fear or be anxious is, is found in three separate places in this text. Don't fear. Don't be anxious. Don't be afraid to give. Trust that God will care for your needs if you focus on his will. And this is right in line, of course, with what Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. Uh, Paul was a traveling preacher who would start churches all throughout Asia Minor, and the church at Philippi sent money to fund his ministry. And in verse 18 of Philippians 4, he says to them, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, 
a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. So he says to them, you were giving uh, generously to the work of God. And now trust that God will supply every need of yours. The question today is, do you have the faith to believe that, to trust in God's provision, and to give generously as a result? I want to read through our text uh, one last time. And as we do, ask God to, to help you have the faith to believe these words. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. For life is more than food. And the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his, life's, uh, to his span of life? If, you, if then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? Do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried, for all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be added to you. Fear not, little flock. For it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief, no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com. Or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.